Hello everyone, I want to give you a very warm welcome to an online broadcast from Trinity Church here in Aberdeen. Whether you're watching in our city, part of our church family, or somebody just joining us, whether you're watching uh, on a different part of the world, you're very welcome indeed to join us as we come to God in worship together today. Uh, lockdown is still continuing, lockdown all over the world and here for us, and so because we cannot meet together we're putting some of our worship and teaching materials online for our church family and for other friends uh, to join us and to come to God together with us in these strange days. Uh, may God bless you and encourage you today as you watch and learn and worship with us. We're going to begin just simply by uh, reading wonderful words of a call to worship from Psalm 95. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Let's pray a prayer of confession together as we come to this great God, the shepherd of his people our King and our Heavenly Father. We confess together, our Father, that we do not live up to the family name. We are more ready to resent than to forgive, more ready to manipulate than to serve, more ready to fear than to love, more ready to keep our distance than to welcome, more ready to compete than to help. At the root of this behaviour is mistrust. We do not love one another as we should because we do not believe that you love us as you do. Forgive our unbelief, we pray. Cover our sins through the blood of Jesus, your Son, and hear our prayer because of him. Amen. Here is wonderful assurance of pardon. Who is a God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. And at this time of global crisis and so much difficulty for so many, here is a collect for those who are grieving in isolation. Gracious Heavenly Father, who knows our grief is the price we pay for love, give gospel comfort and consolation to those who feel the pain of bereavement and the anguish of separation at this time of global crisis. And reminded as we are of the fleeting frailty of this life, teach each one of us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. For this we ask in the name of your Son, who was cut off from the land of the living, to rescue us from the present evil age. Amen. Well, we're looking today at the book of Acts, and we're going to look at Acts chapter 13. This is a return for us at Trinity to a series that we began uh, last year uh, in the autumn. We took a, took a break for five Sundays to think particularly about uh, the coronavirus crisis and what God might be saying to us and doing in all of our lives. Uh, but now we're going back to the book of Acts. So if you can have that in front of you, Acts chapter 13, and I'm going to read verses 1 to 12 for us. 
Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you. And you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred. For he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Amen. What is the greatest evil in the world? What would you say? Here's another question. What is the greatest need in the world? I want to ask you just to park those two questions. What is the greatest evil and what is the greatest need? Just put them to the side for a minute. We're going to come back to them. But I've got you to think about those two greatest things in the world because that is the scale of Acts chapter 13 that we're looking at. The greatest of some things in the world. Acts chapter 13, this is a hinge chapter. It is, if you look at the book of Acts, it is almost literally in the middle of Acts. The story is turning now from Jerusalem and the gospel to the Jewish people in the first part of the book. The story is turning now out to the world, the gospel to the ends of the earth. And this is a good point for us to be coming back to the book of Acts. You can see the new step, the new stage that we're into there in verse 2, while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. After fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Here is Barnabas and Saul being set off for the first global missionary journey. And then in verse 4, they come to Cyprus. And they're going to keep travelling. They're going to keep spreading the gospel and traveling and journeying and the gospel is going to go right out to Rome itself. It's going to touch the very ends of the then known earth. Now we're going to look at verses 4 to 12 today and I want to show you three things we see when God is at work in his world. That's what we're going to do today. Three things when God is at work in his world. But verses 1 to 3 of chapter 13 are hugely important too, aren't they? We, we had Simon Arskett preach this for us recently at Trinity here in Aberdeen. 
That sermon is on our website. We're going to include it as part of uh, this series. How, how does a church following God's leading, what does it do? How does it make decisions? It's a very, very vital question for all of us, but particularly for leaders, I think, for our elders to consider. When Simon preached that Sunday, it was at Will Allen's ordination uh, in January. Do listen to Simon's sermon if you can the importance of somebody being set aside for ministry. But what we're looking at today is now that that has happened, now that somebody has been like that, these first missionaries are setting sail and getting to work. What happens next? What what would you expect to see out there in the world with people who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, your own friends and family members, colleagues, people who you know? When God is at work out there, what do we see? It's a good thing to want to know about, isn't it? When God is at work in the world, what happens? There's a really important phrase in our passage in verse 11. Look at it. And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you. That's something that we often pray for and ask for, isn't it? God to to put his hand on someone, to put his hand on people somewhere. We had it back in chapter 11, verse 21. Just have a look back at that. Chapter 11, verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them. Talking about the church, God's people. That There in chapter 11, God is putting down, reaching down from heaven to his people. But now in chapter 13, he is doing this out there in the world. Outside the walls of the church and beyond the bounds of God's people, when he puts his hand on someone, what can we expect? Three things. Three things you see when God is at work in the world. Three simple things. Number one, surprising relationships. Number two, straight roads. And number three, stunning reversals. That's what you see when God is at work in the world. Surprising relationships straight roads and stunning reversals. I want to show you each of them as we look at this passage together. Number one, when God reaches down from heaven and is working in his world, sending his spirit and moving, number one, you see surprising relationships, surprising relationships to the word of the Lord. There are there are two surprising relationships here in this passage and what I mean is that there are surprising relationships to God speaking to to the Bible look at the passage here are two missionaries Barnabas and Saul and two missionaries meet two men a Jewish false prophet named Bar Jesus or Elamas and a Roman official a Gentile the proconsul of the island Sergius Paulus and each of these men the Jew and the Gentile Each of them have a surprising relationship to the word of God. Can can you see it? Can you see the surprise in the passage? The man with the Bible in his history is not interested in it. The man who grew up with the Bible in his home, who, who learned the Bible, maybe from his mother's lap and from his father's teaching. He is a Jewish man, but he has not grown up to speak the word of God truly, has he? Look how look how Luke in writing this account describes him for us. A Jewish false prophet, verse 6, named Bar-Jesus. A Jewish false prophet. And on the other hand, who do they meet? 
Sergius Paulus, a man who has had no exposure to the gospel, who has had no Bible in his life, no contact with God's faithful people. He has lived all these years as a Gentile. And yet what do we hear? Verse seven, as soon as he hears of Barnabas and Saul, he summoned them and sought to hear the word of God. Here are two surprising relationships to the word of the Lord. Someone who should have loved it is in fact hating it. Turn their back on it. See what he does in verse 8. Look at verse 8 with me. But Elamas the magician, for that is the meaning of his name. What does he do as gospel workers arrive in town with an open Bible to preach and teach? He opposes them. Seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Someone you would expect to then love the Bible, hates it. And the opposite happens as well. The proconsul, who you would expect to hate it, loves it. I want to hear more. Call these men to me. Let me hear them. Friends, it's a very beautiful, simple point. Never presume to know in advance what effect the Bible will have on someone. Never presume to know in advance before you maybe take faltering words onto your lips to share the gospel with someone. Never presume to know what effect it will have. We think we know, and yet so often we don't. Never presume, Luke is saying to us here in this book of Acts, never presume that because someone is wearing a clerical robe or has a PhD in divinity that their relationship to the Bible is healthy. No, as the gospel spreads in the world, we will find surprising relationships to the word of the Lord springing up all around us. Missionaries will arrive here among us in the West. They will come to us from the Southern Hemisphere or from the majority world. And where might some of their greatest opposition come from? Who might oppose them most fiercely? The church, organized religion, established religion. Oh, I know we sent you missionaries uh, centuries ago, decades ago, but truth be told, if we're really honest, we're embarrassed about that. And we certainly don't believe the Bible like that anymore. People who have grown up with the Bible can come to detest the Bible, to turn their back on it, even as they try to hold on to some of the trappings of life associated with it. And at the same time, friends, at the same time, particularly in the midst of this coronavirus crisis, and some of us have discovered this already, let me encourage you with your family and friends to be really bold with the Bible. For some will surprise you with their relationship to it. They will want to know more. Friends, be winsome and gentle where others are harsh and unyielding. Be generous and sacrificial where others around us are only looking out for number one. Be calm and trusting where others are fearful. And speak about the Lord Jesus where others have only themselves to speak about. And we will see sometimes God at work in surprising ways. Sometimes at work with the very last people you would ever expect God to be at work with. The very last people we would ever expect to be interested in wanting to hear the word of God. Number one, where God puts his hand on the world. You see surprising relationships to the Bible. Number two, number two, you will know the gospel is at work in the world when you see straight roads being built. 
straight roads. And here what I mean is straight roads being built to the knowledge of God. Number one, surprising relationships to the word of God. Number two, straight roads to the knowledge of God. Missionaries, Barnabas and Saul here out in the world, gospel ministers, gospel workers, Sunday school teachers, house group leaders, elders in church families. What they do is they build a straight path for people to walk on all the way to God. It's a lovely image. You see, if you look at the description here, imagine these opening verses from verse 4 onwards. They arrive in Seleucia, they sail to Cyprus, they arrive at Salamis, they go throughout the whole island of Paphos. These missionaries, if you take a coloured pen and draw their, all those movements in those verses on a map, it would be a winding road, wouldn't it? All over the island of Cyprus, they went this way and that. But Acts is saying, as they're wending their way and winding over the island, as they teach and preach the faith, the word of God, they are saying, in all their movement across the island, in all the geographical movement, they are saying, there is one broad road that leads to destruction and there is one narrow road that leads to life. And they are building a straight path to the knowledge of God. Straight path to the Lord. That is what missionary work is. That is what gospel ministry is. Being, building a road for people to walk on. To get straight to God. See, look at Sergius Paulus again. Here he is. This Roman proconsul, who knows what gods he's worshipped throughout his lifetime? Who knows what religion he's followed? Probably it was a pick and mix religion, a bit, little bit of this, a bit of that. Because people don't know how to get to God, do they? They veer all over the place. I'll, I'll try this, I'll try a little bit of that, I'll ignore him for years, then illness strikes, I'll pray. Maybe he's there. Is there anybody there? Can he hear me? That felt good. That didn't feel quite so good. Is God there? How do I know? But the Bible says there is one straight road you can walk on to actually get to him. That's what these missionaries were proclaiming to this man, Sergius Paulus. They were saying to him, we live in God's world, not he in ours. We are dependent on him, not he on us. And we will answer to him, not he to us. God sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to die in our place, bearing the penalty for our sins. That is the road you need to walk on to get to God and to find him and to know him. See, that, that's what they're saying, isn't it? If you look at verse 10, that's why they're so upset with this man, Elamas, the magician. He is making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. They're, they're building this road for the proconsul to walk on and uh, Elamas, the magician, is perverting it. See, this language of straight roads, straight paths, it comes from the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament where God's people are in captivity and exile. And God says, I'm going to come and get you myself. And to get you out of there, I'm going to build a highway from Babylon to Jerusalem. I'm going to build a straight road and I'm going to come myself and rescue you and lead you home. There is one straight road of rescue and I will be out there in front, walking it with you, leading you by the hand back to my home, by the hand. You see, that, that's the task of the missionary. That, that's the task of the minister, the, the person who is sharing the Bible with her neighbour across the garden fence, two metres apart from her safely. 
It, it is very simply to build a straight road to the knowledge of God. To, to lay it out clearly. Look what Barnabas and Saul were doing. How were they, how, how were they doing this? Look what they were doing, verse 5. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. Verse 7. This man, Elamas, was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. They are speaking the word of God. Look at verse 12. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. These two men are laying out the teaching of the Lord. Where, where you see God at work in his world, where he reaches down from heaven with his hand, what you will find is men and women speaking God's word. And, and although it might seem strange, if you can imagine it, as they are speaking God's word, as they open their mouths, a highway comes straight out. It is one straight road for people to walk on to get to God. They build straight paths to the knowledge of God. I think it's very interesting that it is Paul here in, the, in these verses, verse 10. It is the Apostle Paul who uses this language of crooked and straight paths. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Paul will later say, 2 Timothy 2, 15, Paul will say that gospel ministers, gospel missionaries rightly handle the word of truth rightly handle the word of truth those two words rightly handle are tightly connected to this idea of a straight path rightly handling it, it is an engineer's term for cutting a road through a hill and making it as straight as a roman road should be it means to cut a path in a straight direction that is what missionaries do, gospel workers do with the Bible. They they cut a straight road with it. You, you've seen them, haven't you? Those country roads that you've driven on, you've probably forgotten them now, or maybe you still get to run on them, uh, your weekly run. Those country roads through a forest, how did that road get there? Somebody cut it. Somebody cut it. Through the mountain pass where you have those wire nets, on either side of the road, holding back the rocks on either side. Can you imagine all the sweat and the machinery and the labour and the tools and the planning? And yet, look, it's all been done. There is now a straight road and you and I zip along it at 60 miles an hour, not a care in the world. Because somebody has rightly handled the landscape. They have laid it bare. They have forged it straight. They have cut it open. And friends, when God is at work in the world, he gives to the world and to his church people who can do that with the Bible to lay it open straight, to build a road, lay it wide open and to get people to walk on it to find God. See, the, the authentic Bible teacher stands with an open Bible. I have an open Bible in front of me here on this lectern. And as the authentic Bible teacher speaks, straight paths to walk in, open up in front of everybody. That's all that happens. Do this, not that. Stop doing this. Start doing that. Change this. Hold on to this. Flee from that. See, that's all Barnabas and Saul were doing, taking this message out into the world. They are saying 
The gospel demands our everything. It takes our very life from us. It, it lays us in Christ's grave and it raises, raises us up to life with him. The gospel is not cheap and it is not easy, but it is not complicated either. It is not complicated. It is clear and straight and true. And the false leader, the false shepherd, the fraudulent Bible teacher, well, make no mistake, friends, he also stands with an open Bible. But he says, look, these words don't quite mean what you think they mean. I know people believed that back then, but we're different now. False teaching takes gospel words and makes them slippery words. Look what Paul says in verse 10, what this false prophet is doing. He is taking straight words and making them crooked. Making them crooked. Look what he's doing in verse 8. Again, it's another, it's another road imagery. Elamas the magician opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. He's setting up a roadblock, isn't he? See, there's the gospel and here's this court magician standing in the way of the gospel, reaching Sergius Paulus. Don't go there. Take this diversion, pulling him off to the side, down a different road, down to a blind alley. And so, friends, here's the thing. Do you notice, do you notice just how strong Paul's language is in verse 10? Did that, did that take you by surprise? I think these words kind of stand up off the page, don't they? You son of the devil. He says, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Would you use words like that for a person like this? See, Elamas's name, just look back at his name in verse 6. They came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. That, that, that little prefix bar, it just means son. And the name Jesus means saviour, rescuer. So this man had parents, they brought him home from the hospital, they looked at him and they said, let's call him son of salvation. That's what he has brought into our home, light, life, happiness. Let's call him son of salvation so that he grows up to be a rescuer of people. But instead, what has happened to him, he's grown up and he is off in a Gentile workplace, probably earning a living, providing magic tricks to this Roman official. And instead of bringing light and life and salvation into the official's home, he is actively keeping him from believing and hearing about and loving the true and living God. Paul says, look, for somebody like that, you are not a son of salvation. Verse 6. No, verse 10, you are in fact a son of the devil, you are the enemy of all that is right. You are full of deceptive cunning and evil guile. And you are taking those straight paths of the Lord and making them crooked. Setting up roadblocks and diversions. Friends, here is what Paul is saying. I want to take you back to the opening question I began with. The greatest evil in the world is to turn people away from the straight paths of the Lord. The greatest evil in the world is to turn people off the Lord and away from him and to do things so that they can't find him and can't get to him and are reaching for him and 
cannot get there. That's why he's reaching for the strongest words he can find in verse 10. It is demonic. It is unrighteous. It is deceptive. It is evil. It builds a road off a cliff rather than a road to God and to safety. I wonder if we believe that is what evil really is. Do you believe that, friends, that that is truly evil to do that? I mean, uh, what I want you to do is think about it this way. What, what is the greatest need in our world right now today? What would people say? I think there's maybe for the first time ever an almost universal answer to that question. What is the greatest need? A vaccine. Isn't that right? That's what many would say. No return to normality until we have one. No way out of this crisis economically until we have one. No way out for our health until there's a vaccine. So imagine this evening, after you've uh, finished your day's business, imagine this evening you turn on the news and you hear that scientists in the University of Aberdeen, of all places, have made a vaccine. It is a world first and it is freely available and it has been mass produced. There is enough for everybody and it works. And then as the world wakes up tomorrow morning, Having heard about it, as the world wakes up and comes to get the vaccine, we barricade Aberdeen from north, south, east and west. Barricade Aberdeen off from the rest of the world. London, in the grip of the pandemic, sends its couriers up the road and they find the A90 barricaded. The new road all the way around Dundee blocked off. We've made the straight road crooked. We plough up the runway strip. Planes can't land. We put mines in the harbour so no ships can make it into Aberdeen. Whatever route the world tries to get into Aberdeen, it finds every effort is useless. We have made every possible path crooked, broken, diverted, disrupted. Well, use the language of verse 8. We have turned people away from us. What would the world say about Aberdeen? What would the world say about us, the good people of our city? Verse 10, you sons and daughters of the devil, enemies of the common good, you are full of all deceit and villainy. Oh, it would be in the eyes of, wor uh, eyes of the world in so much need. It would be the greatest evil in all the world to deprive the world of what it needed most. Friends, can we see what Paul is saying here? In verse 10, the greatest need in the world is the gospel of God, forgiveness of sins because of the beautiful person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no one like him who came to earth and lived the life we should have lived, who died the death we deserve to die and who rose again, crushing death, ascended to the Father's right hand, reigning now from heaven as the world's true king. Oh, friends, it is the greatest need of the world to know him and to find a way to him and to turn people away from him. Is the greatest evil the world could ever know. No wonder Paul's language is so strong. What, it, what is the essence, friends, of Christian leadership? of missionary work, of gospel 
ministry, of training men and women in gospel ministry, of sending men into our pulpits to teach and preach, of renovating our building, to hold out light to our city, to a lost world. What is the very essence of that kind of ministry, of Christian leadership? It is this, making a straight road through the world with the gospel so that others can walk on it. That's the task. Let me ask you, if you're a Christian leader, what are you doing in leadership? What are you doing? What are you building? What are you cutting? It becomes very clear in the New Testament that if you are in ministry, in Christian leadership, you are a road builder. And if you do not know that is your job, to build a straight road then get out of leadership and get out of it quickly. If you're just turning up week by week and muddling along without direction and without goal and purpose, it is time to stop, to change your job. Give it to somebody else. Hand it on. Friends, whether you are a parent at home teaching children, I'm sure you're doing that day by day at the minute, but whether you're a parent at home teaching the Bible to them, whether you're a pastor preaching to 400 people or 4,000 people or four people, whether you're a Bible study leader speaking online to a group of 10, 15, 20 people, who, whatever the numbers involved, whatever it is we are doing with the Bible, health and strength in the church comes from you building a straight road, from not complicating what God has made simple. And clear and obvious. Christian shepherds sweat at their desks to lead sheep to pasture. That's the very essence of the job, isn't it? The very essence of ministry. I've said this before. One of the well-intended but worst compliments you, you can ever get as a preacher is when people say to you, that was an amazing sermon. I, I, I would never ever have seen that in the Bible. How did you do that? You're so clever. That's amazing. And your heart sinks, doesn't it? People say that to you. You know, the best, the best compliment is people say, thank you for that. I, I see it. it. It's so obvious. Of course, you know, when you read the passage, I wasn't sure what you were going to say. I wasn't sure what was going to come out. But then as you preached and spoke, and as I looked at it, wow, straight road to walk on. It's clear, obvious, of course. A surprising relationship to the word of the Lord. A straight road to the knowledge of the Lord. Number three, to finish, a stunning reversal. And here is a stunning reversal from the hand of the Lord. If it's this serious, friends, if what I've been saying is this serious, that there is no greater need in the world than the gospel of God, that there is no greater evil in the world than turning people away from the knowledge of God. We shouldn't be surprised that there is judgment on Elymas and salvation for Sergius Paulus. Now behold, verse 11, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Look at the reversal here in these verses. It, it, it's, it's a picture for us. Elimas 
has moved from physical sight to physical blindness. But the proconsul goes the opposite way. He moves from spiritual blindness to spiritual sight. It is a reversal that is meant to warn us and to encourage us. The book of Acts is saying, friends, for blind guides, there is only more blindness to come. For false teachers, there is only falsehood to descend upon them and consume them and cover them. Rico Tice, the evangelist in London, says that the devil does some of his best work in a dog collar. We we need to be warned by it. Beware of people from Bible backgrounds and Bible traditions that long ago stopped reading the Bible. I, I used to be an evangelical, but of course we grow out of that. We move on. And people who long ago stopped believing the Bible. And friends, never stop praying for and speaking to people who seem to have no time for the Bible at all. I suspect in, in our lives we have people on both of these sides, don't we? People who look more like Elemas. And people who look very like Sergius Paulus. Who have no time for God and his ways. But who knows what the hand of the Lord will do if he reaches down from heaven and places it on us and on his world. For this is what happens as the gospel goes out into the world. Surprising relationships to the word of the Lord develop. Straight roads to the knowledge of God are built. And surprising reversals from the hand of the Lord are experienced. I want to encourage you friends, my dear friends, church family, Trinity here in Aberdeen. Keep speaking God's word clearly, simply openly unashamedly and keep praying for those who seem so far away from God keep praying for God to reach down from heaven and put his hand on them and wake them up to him and to do that in grace and mercy before it happens in judgment oh may God give many of our loved ones our friends our family may God give them his spirit to want to know him and to hear more and to reach out and find him. So may God help us. Amen.